Take your Bible, please, and turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Now, be sure and be here tonight to hear Randy Bray speak. Uh, Randy's been a challenge to me. He was in Waco, Texas for five years, and then he went to Athens, Georgia as pastor for nine years, and then he went up to Asheville, a Temple Baptist, and while he was a Temple Baptist, he commuted back and forth almost every day, weekday, to finish his bachelor's degree and then went on to get his master's degree. Was on the staff at Ambassador for four years and also pastored in Hendersonville. So I'm looking forward to his preaching tonight. All right, let's stand please for the reading of God's word. Revelation 19, beginning with verse 11. It says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And in his eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which followed him in heaven were clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fiercest and the wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you. What we have read this morning is the second advent of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, there are 7,000 957 verses, no less than 330 verses speak of the second coming of Jesus Christ. 41 verses deal with the rapture. 290 verses deal with the second advent. Now there are people that have been saved for years and are not aware of this simple truth, that the second coming of Christ is in two phases. When he comes for those of us who are saved, his feet will not touch the earth, but we will be raised to meet him in the air. That's called the rapture. Somebody objects and says, wait a minute. Where do you find that word rapture in your English Bible? You don't find it. It is what is called a transliteration, which is a fancy word for saying that we take a foreign word and we make it an English word. And it comes from the Latin word rapto, rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4:17, Caught up together with them in the clouds to paint the Lord in the air. After the rapture, there will be seven years of tribulation, where all hell breaks loose on earth. After the tribulation, 
Jesus is coming back to earth. Those of us who are saved are coming back to earth with him. That is called the revelation or the second advent of Christ. Dr. H. Ironside said, one may go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he will only find one reference that deals with the rapture. John 14 and verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now, in all due respect to Dr. Ironside, I believe there's another passage that deals with the rapture. John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. That speaks of the rapture also. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as far as I can tell, there are only two verses in the entire Bible that mention both phases of the second coming in the same verse. For instance, Titus 2 and verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the blessed hope, the rapture, the kingdom of Jesus, the revelation. Again, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, at his appearing, that's the rapture, and at his kingdom, that's the revelation. Now, as far as we're concerned, in this passage is the second advent of Christ. As you go down through the passage, you will see four names that are given to Christ in this passage. That's what I'm preaching about this morning, the names of Christ. First of all, in verse 11, he is called faithful and true. I call that the name of his sinlessness. John 8, 44 says the devil's a liar and the father of lies, but Jesus is faithful and true. Everything that Jesus is, the devil is not. Everything the devil is, Jesus Christ is not. He is faithful and true. The devil's a liar and the father of lies. Several years ago when we were in Singapore the second time, the pastor said, Brother Comfort, I'd like to take you on a tour through a Buddhist temple. It was the largest complex on the island of Singapore. And as we went through several buildings, there was one building that uh, were for visitors to pick up literature about Buddhism. And there was a book on Buddha itself. And I thought I would read that book. I was amazed to realize that Buddha never claimed sinless perfection. That was a revelation to me. I thought Buddha would have claimed sinless perfection, but I thought about that. There is not a religious founder that called himself sinless 
only Jesus Christ did. You see, 1 Peter 1.18, he was a lamb without blemish and without spot. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also has suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. 1 Peter 2.22, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, for he that's God hath made him that's Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Ladies and gentlemen, even Judas Iscariot had to say, I betrayed innocent blood. Pontius Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Pontius Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with the blood of this just man. That thief who hung on the side of Jesus said this man had done nothing amiss. And ladies and gentlemen, there was a centurion that stood by the cross of Christ. He witnessed the three hours of darkness over the land, the earthquake, the veil of the temple rent from the top to the bottom. And finally, the centurion concluded, Matthew 27, 54, truly, this was the Son of God. In John 8 and verse 46, he challenged the Pharisees. He said, which of you convinceth me of sin? There was not a Pharisee that could say that Jesus ever told a half-truth, that he ever said anything that had a double meaning. When he was facing the cross in John chapter 12 and verse 40, he said, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. And only Jesus could say, I do always the things that please my heavenly father. His name is sinless and truth. When my son-in-law married my daughter Becky, I took him with me in several meetings. Now Mike has been in evangelism for 36 years, but he would preach to the Christian schools while I held meetings in the local church. And uh, we were in a meeting together in Wilmington, North Carolina. And a young man was saved in the chapel that week. He came to Mike at the end of the week and he said, Mr. Pelletier, he said, I've been saved this week. He said, you know, before this week, I always thought that Jesus was a good man in the crowd who volunteered to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And my son-in-law rightly said, young man, if he had simply been a good man in the crowd, he couldn't have paid my sin's penalty. It took a lamb without blemish and without spot, the name of his sinlessness. But notice, please, verse 12. He has a name written that no man knows but he himself. I call that the name of his superiority the name of Jesus Christ. In Song of Solomon 5.16, his mouth is most sweet, yea, he's altogether lovely. 
Psalm 45 and verse two, thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Psalm 89 and verse six, for who in the heavens can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? Philippians chapter two, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven of things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father, the name of his superiority. H.G. Wells, the historian, said this, Jesus Christ is the most prominent personality in the history of mankind. And folks, that's the truth. Think of this. He only lived 33 and a half years. His ministry was only three and a half years. And yet there are more books written about him, more songs written about Jesus, more poems that have been written about Jesus Christ, the name of his superiority. John said this in John 21 and verse 25, and there are many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written therein the name of Jesus, the name of his superiority. That is the most beloved name on the face of God's earth. All you've got to do is read Fox's Book of Martyrs. And there are millions of people, even in our day, that are giving their life's blood for that name which is above every name, the name of Jesus. The most beloved name on God's earth. I go into church to preach and uh, if my wife is not with me and there's a lady that calls herself Joyce, like Joyce Ferguson, right away there's a, a relationship there because the name I love above every earthly name is the name Jesus. The, the name Jesus Christ even means more to me than the name of my wife, Joyce, the name which is above every name. I want to say, ladies and gentlemen, you can't be neutral about that name. Matthew 12 and verse 30, he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathered not with me scattereth abroad. Not only is it is the most beloved name on the face of God's earth, but it is the most hated name on the face of God's earth. Have you ever seen a carpenter who is pounding nails and he hits the wrong nail? And what does he exclaim? Oh, Buddha! No. Oh, Muhammad! No. It's the name Jesus Christ. Several years ago, we were in Puerto Rico and I was preaching there, I went to a McDonald's early in the morning to get my wife some breakfast food. And I was standing in the line. There was a girl about 11, 12 years old in front of me talking in the Spanish language. Of course, I couldn't understand her. 
But all of a sudden, something triggered her. And you could hear her all over the McDonald's. She exclaimed, oh, Jesus Christ. I thought, isn't that something? This girl probably doesn't know English, but she knew enough to blaspheme that name which is above every name. Now, I want to ask you, is the name Jesus superior in your life? If you were to make a list of your priorities in your life, where would Jesus be in that list? If he is not on top, he is not superior in your life. The name of his superior. He is superior in the book of Hebrews, superior to Abraham, to Moses, to Isaac, He is superior to the angels. He is superior to presidents and potentates and emperors and senators and congressmen. He is Lord. He's superior in the Bible. Now, ladies and gentlemen, how do you read this book? Somebody said, well, uh, I made a promise to God that I was going to read my Bible every day. So last night before I went to bed, I read Psalm 117, shortest psalm in the Bible, two verses. And I did my duty to God and man. I read my Bible. Are you listening? That stinks. You know how you ought to read this book? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. Now we all with open face beholding is in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image even from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You know what that verse says? If you read this book to see Jesus, the Holy Spirit conforms you into the image of Jesus Christ. You see, he's on every page. In the Old Testament, he was predicted. In the Gospels, he was present. In the book of the Acts, he is proclaimed. In the epistles, he is possessed. And in the book of the Revelation, he is predominant. It's all about Jesus. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the meal, the wave, the heave, the trespass offering. In Numbers, he's a manna that came down from heaven. In Deuteronomy, he is the rock. In Joshua, he's the captain of the Lord's host. In Judges, he is the angel of the Lord. In Ruth, he is our kinsman. In Job, he's our redeemer. In Psalms, he's our sword, our shield, our buckler, our high tower. In Proverbs, he is wisdom personified. In the Song of Solomon, he is our beloved. In Isaiah, he's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God the everlasting father and the prince of peace. In Haggai, he's the desire of all nations. In Zechariah, he's the branch. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness. In Matthew, he's the king of the Jews. In Mark, he's the son of God. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God and the son of man. Folks, if you pick up this book to read it and you don't see Jesus, pick it up again. He's on every page. So number one, we notice the name of his sinlessness. 
faithful and true. The name of his superiority. He has a name written that no man knows but himself. But number three, here's the name the Jehovah's Witnesses do not like. I call it the name of his sonship. Verse 13, he is called the word of God. John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and with not anything made that was made. In him was a light of light, John 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth the name of his sonship. Years ago, I was in my yard in Shelby after we moved on Zion Church Road and uh, Jehovah's Witness came up to the yard on a Saturday. When I went upstairs, my wife said, honey, did I notice you were talking to a Jehovah's Witness? I said, yes. I said, how did you know that? She said, well, I saw you shaking your finger at him. <laughs> well, when he came up to my yard, I said, sir, do I discern you're a Jehovah's Witness? He said, yes, I am. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Does your new, uh, new world translation say in John 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a God? He said, yes, it does. I said, if you believe that, you'll die and go to hell. 1 John 2, 22, who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. He said, well, do you know what the name Jesus means? I said, I surely do. It means I am salvation. He said, no, it doesn't. It means Jehovah is salvation. I said, I'm glad you said that. I want you to take your Bible and turn in your New World Translation to Isaiah 40 in verse 3, the best verse in the Old Testament on dealing with the deity of Christ with a Jehovah's Witness. Now, it's fulfilled in Luke 3 and verse 4. I said, all right, let's read it. It says, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the L-O-R-D in capital letters. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. I said, now, let me ask you a few questions about this verse. I said, what is the word L-O-R-D in capital letters? He said, it's the word Jehovah. I said, you're right. I said, number two, who does this verse prophesy? He said, it prophesies John the Baptist. I said, I'm impressed. You're absolutely right. I said, now, here's my third question. Who was John the Baptist the forerunner of? He said, Jesus Christ. I said, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I said, Isaiah 40 and verse 3 says he was a forerunner of Jesus, but Isaiah 40 and verse 3 says that Jesus was Jehovah. I said, you know what intelligence tells me? The Jehovah of Isaiah 40 and verse 3 is the Jesus Christ of Luke 3 and verse 4. And unless you believe that, you'll never get to heaven. I was preaching in 1996 in July in Phoenix, Arizona. 
Now, folks, an evangelist has to be pretty hard up for meetings to hold meetings in July in Phoenix, Arizona. 115 degrees. You know what they say? Well, it's dry heat. Well, man, if you can fry an egg on the pavement, it doesn't matter whether it's wet or dry. It's hot. <laughs> and I preached that Sunday morning, and in my message, I quoted Isaiah 53, written 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. A lady who was in the service had been a Jehovah's Witness for 20 years. When I quoted Isaiah 53, she said, I see it, I see it. The Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus Christ of the New. And she was born again, the name of his sonship. But I close in verse 16. I call this the name of his superiority, the name of his sovereignty. Verse 16, he's called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Revelation eleven fifteen. and the seventh angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven saying, Behold, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of its Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Psalm 2, 1 through 6, Why did the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves together, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break asunder their bands and cast away their cords from us, get it. But he that sitteth in heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and shall vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon the holy hill of Zion, king of kings, and Lord of Lords. He was announced as a king in his birth. The angel said in Luke 1, and 34, and he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David and he shall rule over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom shall there be no end. He is called king of kings and Lord of Lords. 1947, Israel was abuzzed with a royal wedding of Princess Elizabeth to the Duke of Wellington, uh, or Edinburgh. And it was announced for months in the paper that there would be a day when the royal couple would go to the chapel and exchange vows. Well, the day came. People from all over Europe came to see the royal couple. In the crowd that day, there was a 12-year-old boy, King Faisal II of Iraq. And so he stood on the avenue to get a glimpse of the royal couple. But something caught his eye that was more interesting to him than the royal couple was the royal horses. So he broke the line to get a better look at the horses. The police, not knowing who he was, grabbed him. They shoved him back in line and they warned him, you stay in line or else. 
King Faisal II. The next day, there was a headline in the greatest newspaper in all of London. They apologized. We did not know who he was. You see, if he had been carrying a scepter and wearing a crown, they would have known he was a king. When Jesus came the first time, Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He offered them the kingdom of God. But there was nothing about Jesus that resembled a king. He was born in a stinking stable, laid in a borrowed manger. A lowly Nazarene from Galilee, when they saw him, there was no beauty that they desired of him. So they put him on a cross. But ladies and gentlemen, when he comes the next time, the world with embarrassment will cry out, we did not know who he was. He's king of kings and lord of lords. In 1976, my wife and I went with Dr. Bill Rice, who's now in heaven, uh, on a tour through the Bible lands. Now get this. It was a 22-day trip, nine nations for $1,200. Think of that. Uh, you go to Israel today, it's going to cost $5,000 to have a 10-day trip. And so in the uh, tour, we, of course, went mostly in the Bible lands. But then as we were on our way back, we stopped by Russia, Moscow, for four and a half days. That was the second week of December. And in the Bible lands, it was warmer than it is is today. So we didn't have heavy coats, by and large, didn't have gloves. And uh, the first night we were there, the snow was two and a half to three feet deep outside. And so the guide sent us down and she said, now, I would like to give you some ground rules. She said, tomorrow, you will stand in line to view the body of Mr. Lenin, the founder of communism. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it was cold out there. And so Dr. Rice said, ma'am, he said, we're not dressed to be in a line like that. We'd rather skip that in our itinerary. She said, you have no choice in the matter. Whether you like it or not, you will stand in line to view the body of Mr. Lennon. Some people would stand in line for an hour just to go by a glass enclosure with supposedly the body of Lennon. She said, now let me give you some ground rules. She said, number one, don't shuffle your feet. She said, number two, don't put your hands in your pockets. If our fingers became icicles, we could not put our hands in our pockets. She said, number three, don't even whisper. You know, the longer I stood in that line, the angrier I became. There was a man in front of my wife and me that was talking to his friend in a low tone. And the police came and they took him out of the line and only God knows what happened to him after that. And you know, we finally got up to see the body of Lenin. 
And the first thing I thought as I beheld that dead phony, I thought, Mr. Lenin, one day in the bosom of hell, you will bend your knee and scream that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Not only will he do it, King Playboy Hugh Hefner will do it. Uh, the blasphemer Howard Stern will do it. The atheist Bill Maher will do it. Are you listening? You will too. Why don't you do it this morning because you want to? Don't wait until then because you have to. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. My wife's going to come and play. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Josh, would you come and help me look for hands, please? Let me ask you this. How many of you this morning can say, Brother Comfort, there was a time and a place where I realized I was a lost, hell-deserving sinner. I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And if I died right now, I can give you a Bible reason why I know I go to heaven. Now, wait a minute. I'm not asking you if you're a Baptist. I'm not asking you if you're a church member. I'm not asking if your parents are saved. I'm asking you, has there been a time and a place when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you died right now, you can give me a Bible reason why you know you're saved. If you can do that, would you slip up your hand, please? Keep it up just a moment. If you're not sure, don't be a liar. Keep it up just a moment. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Is there somebody here this morning who would say, Brother Comfort, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I'd like to make sure. Would you include me in the prayer? Now, there are four things you need to know in order to be saved. Number one, you're a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Number two, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Number three, that Jesus paid for your gift of salvation and he took your penalty. Number four, you must ask him to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior. Now, is there anybody in the audience that would say, Preacher, pray for me? I'm not sure I'm saved, but I'd like to make sure today. Would you include me in the prayer? I'd like to make sure today that I'm saved. Slip up your hand, please, and I'll see it and pray for you. Anywhere in the building. Anywhere in the building. All right, one more thing. Is there somebody who would say, Brother Comfort, I'm afraid he's not superior in my life. I know I'm saved. I have no doubt about that but I'm not living as I ought. And I need to make him superior in my life. Would you pray for me? As a Christian, would you slip up your hand and I'll see it and pray for you. God bless you. 
by the wall. Thank you. You may put it down. Pray for me. He's not superior in my life. I need to get some things right with him. Anybody else just before I pray? Let's pray.